Hi, it's Amanda. I wanted to start this episode off with a little chat with just us before I bring on our guest, who is uh, a wonderful guest, Rachel Carey, today. Um, During my conversation with Rachel, it organically came up about a situation that I was in with a male coworker. We were talking about the difficulties that women face in the workplace certainly and especially in the entertainment business. And I tell a story about uh, a situation that happened with me that was degrading professionally. I almost wasn't going to do this intro, but I feel like for all of my women colleagues out there, my, my, my co-writers, my women who have to go into this workplace with armor on, whispering to themselves that they're just as smart, just as strong, just as capable, just as talented. And I want to share with you something that has helped me as a woman being surrounded by men in this male-dominated industry. One of the things that I learned early on is that because women are nervous, they tend to talk more. This is an observation that I made quietly on my own. One thing I'm very good at is watching and absorbing and soaking everything in. And and just like I share often about the story patterns that I've learned, I've also learned behavioral patterns. And very often when a woman joins a team, she tends to want to prove that she belongs there in one way or another. And I want to share with you that the thing that I learned is that that the moment will come where you will have something valuable to add to the conversation. And that is when you should speak. There's an old saying, the less you say, the less chance you have to prove someone wrong that you're smart. I only speak when I think I can contribute to the problem at hand, to the story. If I'm not talking about something that is going to push our story forward, solve a problem, add to a conversation, I generally don't say much. And this does a couple of things. It it sets the tone that I'm a professional because women tend to want to be friendly. They tend to want to disarm. You don't have to pretend to be friendly. You don't have to disarm because men don't care about things like that. Men show up and they chat and they make jokes. Women don't have that room to fiddle around and show up and make jokes when you're just starting out or when you're new to a room, you just show up and you speak when you have something intelligent to add, something that will add to the conversation. And what will happen then is that number one, the men will know that you know that you're not there to joke around with them. Two, the men will begin to understand that you have you have value in adding to the conversation. If you just sit tight and wait, the situation will arise where you can present yourself in the way that you want to present yourself, which is as a valuable member of the team. And if you find yourself in this situation where a man makes an offhanded comment to you, to me, it was not anything sexual, but it was still demeaning. The best way to handle that is to just ask for clarification. I'm sorry. I didn't understand. What, what do you mean by that? Um, I'm sorry. I must not have heard you. I'm not following. Polite, you don't not rude, not not aggressive. Just ask them to repeat it, 
And that will force them to think about what they've said. And nine times out of 10, they will re-evaluate their statement and reword it in a way that is much less degrading. I wish that this was something that we didn't have to talk about. And I really wish that I could say that women were exaggerating about this problem in the workplace or that it doesn't really exist, but it does. It does. And we're not going to get around it. So we just have to learn how to work with it. And these are the things that have helped me. And so I wanted to share them with you because I felt like it was important. And if you're a man who's listening to my podcast today, I urge you to ask yourself the question, would I say this to a man? Here's the thing I'm thinking of saying, would I ask a man this question? Would I make this joke with another man? Right? And the unspoken truth is that the men view each other as equals. And even if they don't mean to, they're not looking at you as their equal on day one, right? It's not until they understand your value and you don't have to prove it and you don't have to be insulted. You just have to stand your ground, continue to, sh- to provide value. Continue to ask for clarification if there is degrading statements that are made and and then they will learn. That's not how we're going to behave. When you finally find the place where you belong, where you are around a supportive group of men, allies, it will be worth it. You see, Hollywood is a small town. You don't have time to waste. So if you're in an environment where you're not being nurtured, it's sucking the life out of you because you're being degraded, the money isn't worth it because you're going to quit eventually anyway. Right? You think you're doing this for money, but it's going to suck the soul out of you. And then you're going to wind up just quitting the business altogether. Instead of nipping it in the bud and saying, that's not for me. There are people out there who are not like that. Not everybody is like that. I promise you that. That I can promise you, right? So if you keep just trying to search for your spot, for where you belong, right? And you keep standing your ground, you're going to be okay. This is what I'd like to say to all the emerging female screenwriters out there female artists, directors, producers, and I hope it's been helpful. It's not the only perspective. Maybe I'm not right, but it's what's worked for me. And so I figured I would share it with you. And I hope you like this episode today. Rachel is another super smart colleague um, who's done some really incredible things and she shares them with us on today's episode. So as always, thank you for being here with me on Story Love. Today's guest is Ray Carey, a writer and director of a wonderful movie, Ask for Jane, which was the first narrative feature film about the Jane Collective, a radical abortion rights group in the 1960s Chicago, and was released in theaters in summer 2019. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. It's such a great film. Rachel did such a good job writing and directing. Um, It's available where all movies are available. Um, And also, Rachel wrote this really cool television 
television series called The Female Genius last year, which you can also check out. Um, such, such fun. Um, Rachel, welcome. I'm so happy to have you with me today. Thanks. It's fun to be here. I'm excited. Tell me about um, tell me about Ask for Jane. Where can our viewers watch it? And then I want to hear all about the um, the right the female genius as well. Sure, uh, that one is available on video on demand. So it's on Amazon, it's on Google Play, it's on iTunes. I think for a while it was on Tubi, which uh, streaming with ads in the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure if it's still up there, but there you go. You can you can see it for free if you want to do that. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and um, Ask for Jane was, was that was your first directorial experience or no? I had directed a bunch of shorts. I went to grad school for directing. And so I'd done shorts. I'd done a one hour TV pilot that I shot on spec that I wrote. That was my first feature though. Yes, yes, yes. How did that come about? Tell me how it came about. So I was part of a group, a theater group, the shelter in New York. And one of the actors from that, they have a kind of open workshop and I got to know her. She heard this story about this amazing group of women who basically ran an underground abortion network in Chicago involving blindfolding and, and eventually helped over 10,000 women get illegal abortions. They used code names. It was a sort of fascinating story. And she, she brought it to me because she wasn't a writer and she thought, people should know about this and we should we should do a film about this. And so she brought me the concept and I developed the script and then she starred in it and also produced it um, along with a couple other folks got got the financing. Yeah, I was lucky enough to see a screening of it. And and it was just such a such a joy to see all of these women coming together to to make this amazing film about women's rights. Right. So um, so that was a treat. Very, very special. Um, Great job there, Rachel. And tell me about um, the female genius. So that project I had started, I had written a short play originally about Emily Dickinson that was just sort of for fun and didn't get put up it was submitted to something it didn't get accepted uh, but I really liked it and I I wanted to do it as kind of a little series of plays uh, about kind of funny spins on women we think we know from history this was before Dickinson I feel like you know somewhere in the culture I was on that wavelength uh, so so a friend of mine Cam Bossert was developing this kind of combined streaming theater and live theater company called Third Wing and was looking for short content he could shoot as a series for that. And so he asked me if I would, if I had anything and I said, I have this. And he said, it's great. And he ended up basically staging them almost like teleplays, like 1950 style. It's a play, but it's designed to be filmed. And the idea was that we would do that. We would have them streaming and then we would have a live theater performance of the whole show as a night of theater. And um, and then the pandemic happened. And so it was like, we were right out of the gate, like, hey, guess what? We have streaming theater. <laughs> but then he wasn't able to do the other half of it, which was the, you know, the our subscribers get to see a show, which is kind of a neat idea. Um, and it was a shame, the timing, but it was it was really fun to see those pieces come to life, really good actors and stuff. That's amazing. It's such fun too. Everybody should really go check it out. And you said we can watch that. Where can we watch that again? That's uh, on Third Wing, which is a, a streaming app that he was created. So I'll put, click up uh, Third Wing. You'll you'll find it. So um, so you and I have known each other for such a long time, and um, 
I've always admired you as a writer for your um, talent and your tenacity of never giving up and always writing. You're all every time I, I, I cross paths with you, you're always working on something new. Um, and, and that's what writers have to do, right? We have to keep writing. So, um, so I love, I, I always love running into you to see what, to see what you're up to. But another thing that we have in common that, that is something that is such a hard thing to navigate is that we're both moms, right? So you're not only trying to make it in what's essentially a, a man's platform, right? Especially as, as directors as well, right? Um, and you're, you're also having to now navigate your household as the matriarch. So it's this weird sort of shift that you go through, you know, at the different facets of the day. And, and, and what so many people don't realize, it's not like, well, on Monday, I'm the mom. And on Tuesday, <laughs> I'm the writer director. It's like mm-hmm. at 9 a.m. on the mom. At 10 a.m. I'm the writer and director. At 5 p.m. I become the mom again. And then at 7, I'm the writer director. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I read an interview, I think with Shonda Rhimes, where she was, even her with her research, and she was like, Yeah, you never figure it out. You're always missing something from somewhere. And, and yet she's really hyper successful, but it's it's a balancing act for sure. Yeah. Yeah. How do you manage it? Uh, it's kind of a combination of stuff. I was thinking about it, but it's, I think it, it does depend. It's hard to talk about it without saying it totally depends on people's resources. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I have friends who are sort of independently wealthy from film school and they obviously managed it different than me. who had to work. <laughs> And then I feel like there are people who are, you know, who are single moms and, and, or, or, you know, or have super high needs kids. And I think it's, you have to kind of, you navigate based on the resources you have. Um, one thing I've done in particular that, you know, that <laughs> I don't know if this sounds good or bad, but I do feel like I, I worked on making sure my kids had some independent resources for entertaining themselves. Like, I think that's very important. I know I have mom friends who I feel like are like cruise directors, you know, the kid comes to them and is like, what do I do? And they're like, we're doing this from two to three. And we're doing this from three to five. And if the kid's like, I'm bored, they're like, here's what you can do. And I was kind of like, you know, I had like the old school 70s mom, like I'm bored. I'd be like, well, I guess you have to find something to do then. Uh, but I think in the long run, that's been helpful that, that, you know, now they're readers and they sit in their rooms and entertain themselves. And so I can buy a little bit of time by not feeling obligated to cruise direct all day. You know, I love that advice. Any mom writers out there who are listening, that is the best advice. Teach your kids to entertain themselves so you can work. <laughs> they don't like it, but then they figure it out, you know, and it's probably, I think that's probably healthy anyway, unless you're like giving them TV all day or something. But if they have to work it out, that's how I got creative as a kid was I had a working mom and you figured it out. And I think that there's a little bit of that that's, that's good. You know, that's the truth, right? When, when did you know that you were a writer? When did it occur to you that thoughts were popping into your head that you had to write down? (laughs) I think I was very early. I was like six and writing poetry. You know how your mom tells you those stories. Um, I wrote my first novel at 10. (laughs) I think that's when I knew. actually here. I'll show you. This is, um, this is corny, but funny. So my sister made this for me when I was in seventh grade and she was in eighth grade and it has my name as writer. Um, in shop. So it's like an eighth grade shop project. And I've always kept it on my desk, but I feel like by that point, 
I was pretty sure that that's what I wanted to do. And then I kind of, but that's fairly young, you know, I see 12. Um, but I think it's like you, like I, I, one of the things we have in common is, is we love story. And I think just like people love music, I think if you really tap into story, that's just one of those things that certain people's minds just work like that and click in. And I feel like I was, that was always the case from pretty young. I love that. I love the um, analogy to music. Isn't it just like that? It is like experiencing a musical movement when you really tap into that story love. I love that. That's, yeah. that's amazing. I love your little statue. That's, uh, that's too much. It's so great. <laughs> It was meaningful to me at the time because I didn't always get along. My older sister and I fought. So then when she made me that, I was like, oh, she does love me. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's fun to have it. It's a little through line on my desk that I, I knew when I was little, I wanted to do this. Well, also, that's an incredible piece of validation to get that not all writers get at such an early age. Like, yes, this is you. You are a writer. And, and here you go. You know, that's 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 neat. That's really nice. Um, so, yeah. So then, you know, what was in your experience as a writer, right, coming from from that world? I always say writers are born. Right. So clearly you're one of them. Right. Who, who knew it had a very early age. And then and then you start to try to, you know, you go to school, like you said, you went to school and then you're out of school and it's like. Here I am, world mm-hmm. <laughs> writer. Right. So what's what's been the best experience and uh, for you in after that, the post-graduation experience, right? So I would say my post-graduation experience was challenging and partly for things I didn't know right away. You know, I think I I did a lot of spec script writing and a lot of trying to navigate um, notes from people on spec scripts. And uh, it was very frustrating. And I also, at the time, I had this idea, which is something I'm getting away from only now, really, that I would be like, I think that's a bad note, but maybe I can take it and still make the script work. You know, I I feel like I was sort of trying to figure out how to navigate this by pleasing people. And that's really a tricky balance, I think. Um, And so eventually I just got so frustrated because nothing was getting produced. And the challenge with screenwriting, as you, as you well know, is it's the entry point is not, $5,000 to make something the entry point is 100,000 and up and so uh, it's just a hard like it's like trying to do a startup where you need a million dollars to do the start you know it's hard to raise those resources so I ended up taking like writing a 90 minute play just because I wanted to see something done and then and then putting it up at a festival this was 2011 I want to say and uh, and then of course somebody came up afterward and was like have you thought of turning this into a movie (laughs) Um, you know, but, uh, but I think I ended up kind of connecting with theater people, partly because I like theater, but also because you could just see things with an audience a lot sooner and, and without that kind of gatekeeping aspect as much. And I also like actors and I liked interacting with actors. So a positive experience was sort of finding community and finding people who could give me notes, but also who weren't writers, who were actors, who who did other things, who were designers, uh, and and getting to kind of come in from that angle. And I think that's been really helpful for me. That's great. One of the the, the common threads that I'm finding is that the writers who stick with it and don't give up are the writers who seek out the community. 
right? There's no writers in Ireland. We all need each other and we need the actors and we need, we need all of the, the, the support around us to let us know we're not in a bubble. We're not in a vacuum. We, we are writing for people, right? Yeah. Although I find, you know, sometimes I think I have a theory, uh, hear me out, that rooms that are all writers can be dangerous because you get like too much feedback and everybody is this nerdy intellectual and they're giving notes that are like, this reminds me of the early work of Tarkovsky or whatever. <laughs> and you get an actor in the room and they'll say stuff like, why am I still mad in this scene when it's been like two weeks? And you're like, oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they, they wouldn't be mad anymore. And so I actually find actor notes wonderfully grounded and helpful sometimes compared, like I have friends, writer friends I exchange scripts with and it's wonderful, but, but I feel like as a dynamic in a room, sometimes it's helpful to have a lot of actors too. I love it. I love it. The Trinity of theater. I, I found, I find myself talking about that in every episode because um, uh, it's just so true. The writer, the director, the actor, it's just um, a bond that when it's working, there's nothing more special than that. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you could go back then, what, what would you tell your younger self? You would, would you tell her, be careful of the notes that you're trying to take or what would it be? I would, I would say find community faster. Uh, and you know, I teach college sometimes. And, and one of the things I, I tell them is, is find community and don't think it has to be the head of the company. It's each other it's people starting out, find community faster, watch out for notes from people who didn't get it in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like notes are great. I love taking notes, but if somebody fundamentally is like, this should be an action comedy and you want it to be straight action, I would say, ignore all their notes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause they're trying to turn it into something else. And that's not, don't take notes. That's don't take notes from people who want to make it another thing that was something it took me a while to learn because you you know you go in assuming people in the industry know more than you and then not not always <laughs> and certainly not always about your stuff so that's another thing I think I would have done I would have done sooner it's the idea of you know you have to know firmly what you're writing about so that you can discern what's helpful and what's not and and the other um the other great note, I think it's William Goldman who says nobody knows anything, right? You don't don't think like you're all of a sudden you're going to get to some level and everybody knows because nobody knows what they're doing. <laughs> I also find it's very interesting to me when I get notes from people who aren't writers at all, like agents who never write, because that they they'll say things like, "Now go watch a TV series and see what they do." And I'm like, is that what you think we all do? Like to me, you know, especially with TV pilots, it's like the whole goal of a pilot is you set up a bunch of, you set up a bunch of loaded guns and some of them are personality and some of them are plot. And then you just figure out when you're going to shoot them all off. But I think sometimes for people who don't think like that, they, it's such a mystery what we do that they give us really wonky advice about next steps. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Have you ever experienced that where people Absolutely. are? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, you know, um, you know, who, who, how can I, who, how can I pitch you? Who are you just exactly like? And I'm like, oh man, I don't, I, I mean, I would like to think I'm not like anybody. Well, we can't pitch that. <laughs> Uh, but I, I do think what is true is it's good to tell people what your genre is early. Right. How, how, how would you suggest to get, the tone on the page on page one, how do you, how do you accomplish that? 
I think you want what the show is about to be right there from the top. Like, I think that's, or if it's a TV pilot or a film, you know, you want that right in the opening. And ideally you want to establish just whether it's a drama or a comedy right from the opening, by the way you sort of set mood and atmosphere. And and you can do a lot with character descriptions too. I think that's probably something I could do even more with. There are people who write funny character descriptions to tell you it's funny. Right. And I think there are a lot of tricks like that that can just indicate to people really early on what they're supposed to be reading for. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm a fan of tropes. I mean, everybody, like trope is a dirty word. Like it's a trope, but they're tropes for reasons, right? So if you, you take a trope and you use it in a way that's um, original, right? You can yeah. take the idea of a trope and use it in an original way, then you're doing your job because the trope is there for a reason to let us know this is what you're about to see. So You know a great example of that? I was just re-watching the opening of The Silence of the Lambs, mm. right? And it's a woman running through the woods and it's shot like a horror film. And how many horror thrillers start with a woman running through the woods, but then she shows up at the FBI and you're like, oh, she's not running from something. She's actually in charge of, of you know, and, and I thought like, what a great way to use a classic trope to tell people the genre and then tell people it's not quite that genre. Well, it was really smart. I love that example. And even what you said was she's not running away from something. She's running to something. And isn't that a lot of what the movie is about, about facing everything and running towards it? That's great. I love that example. Yeah. And it's, it's a great character choice too. It's just beautifully done as an opening for a film, no dialogue, but it, it almost like hints at the genre and then tells you why it's not going to be just that genre, you know? So good. But I mean, like it is one of the best movies ever made that transcends that genre, right? You can look at that movie and say, this is a great movie regardless. And what would you say is one of the best moments in, in, in your trajectory? Oh boy. Uh, I, I'm trying to think I had a novel that I wrote that was kind of, I'd worked this horrible job paying down my student loans and I kind of, used it to write a novel that was kind of satirical and made fun of the horrible job. And that was optioned to be developed into a TV pilot by ABC. And I, that was very satisfying because I was like, I got something out of the horrible job as opposed to just the horrible job. (laughs) That's one of the best things in writing is when you take your trauma and you, you know, when you, you're like, it was good for a thing. Uh, And then Aside from that, I think, yeah, you know, having really good responses to the Ask for Jane film have been great. I mean, that's an interesting one because it's it's super issues oriented. But, you know, sometimes I've had women come up and say, you know, I never told anyone this before, but I got an abortion, back alley abortion in 1967. And, you know, that movie, we made it for less than half a million. It was sort of under budgeted. And I'm myself occasionally critical of of some of the things we were able to do with our budget, but really meant something to a lot of the people who saw it. So that was also really satisfying, I think. Isn't that the best? That is the best when when it resonates, when you when you think, okay, I put something out there that that someone took something yeah. from it and, and personalized. Comfort, right. So what's your craziest story? Everybody's got one. <laughs> oh gosh. Where did it begin? Um, I have a whole bunch. Uh, here's, here's one that's kind of telling. So ask for Jane, seven lead female characters, two smaller male characters, perfectly decent roles. Uh, and I liked those characters. I once went into a 
we'd, we'd developed it as a TV pilot as well as a feature and had brought it to a TV festival. Um, lovely people at the festival. This isn't on them. But when we ended up, we were finalists to win and we pitched it to a production company. And this male producer only asked about the two male characters for the entire 20 minute meeting. And I was like, boy, that's indicative. And I didn't mind talking about the male characters, but I was like, that's a little weird. <laughs> Afterward, we were like, wasn't that a little weird? Uh, so I think I've had, I've had a lot of moments like that. And then of course, you know, film shoots are their whole other bag of crazy. You know, this is something that women deal with all the time. I had, um, I had, signed on to be um, a, a co-producer on a project where I was going to come on and consult. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it was a bunch of men and, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm the woman and, um, and we make the deal for me to get a co-producer credit in, in, you know, whatever it, with my pay in order to consult. So after the meeting, it's going great. I feel great. And then one of the producers comes over and says, so happy to have you on board. And I'm like, great. He's like, I just want to make sure that you're going to, you know, keep your mom's schedule separate. What? Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was my craziest. So strange. In, in like, in like when, you know, like not acknowledging that we can do both and not acknowledging that it, it was insane. And I was just like, I mean, I was caught off guard. It was the first time that something like that had happened to me. So I really didn't know what to say. And I was like, of course, of course. And I hated myself for saying, of course. No. I mean, what can you say? You know, it's, it's especially the power relationship is in the wrong direction. But that's what what a nuts question. Yeah, I know. I know that was crazy. You want to be like, I hope you're going to keep your schedules separate <laughs> so we can work together. They, and, and the men don't realize they're doing it. They don't have any clue with what they're doing. They don't see anything wrong with, with, with what they're focusing on. That's the absolute wrong thing to focus on. But yeah, it's crazy. So what are you all working on now? I have a TV pilot, a kind of coming of age TV pilot I'm writing. And then I am writing a musical, which is delightful fun because I've never done it before. And then, um, and then, yeah, I, I'm attached to direct a, a film, which I'm also trying to get financed. So, which fun. I did. So, yeah. So tell me about the musical because that's so much fun. Uh, <laughs> so fun. Um, so that sort of was a spin-off of the female genius. I was researching Frida Kahlo and came across this story about her interaction with Claire Booth Luce over this painting in the thirties. And I was like, boy, is that a fascinating story? And then I was like, it should be a musical. <laughs> I think it was because it was less about plot and more about the great big feelings everybody was having. And I, you know, I can't write opera, but I was like, oh, I'll write it like a musical. And then I decided I was not going to write the music. So I worked, I found a composer and was lucky enough to find someone really great to work in it with me. So that's been amazing. writing songs. It's super oh, yeah. fun. Yeah, it's really fun. Oh, I cannot wait to see how that progresses. I just am so excited for that. It's great. It's so nice to be collaborative too. We were sort of working during the pandemic and it would be like, 
you know, just to work with somebody on something in a prolonged way, who's kind of doing a different part of it than you are, is really nice. I, I enjoyed that whole process. He occasionally had to listen to my singing. You know, he's a wonderful singer and he would send me a song and I'd be like, what if we did these lyrics? And then I would have to send it back <laughs> with the different placement. And I was like, you poor, poor man. <laughs> How has the collaborative process been for you over Zoom? Uh, okay in that case I mean it's it's better than not talking to anybody I mean it's it, it will be funny because we've never met in person when we do and but but I I mean while it's challenging it's so much better than not collaborating if that makes sense you know I feel like we all need that as as artists to be in the room with other artists talking art and so that part of it's been good um, yeah. parts of it anyway so yeah, I feel like the actors have a little bit more hard, harder time with it than than we um, writers do. Yeah, but they yeah. like they like the people being with them. <laughs> I have the introvert streak. I'm like, I like people, but not for that long, and not necessarily face to face. So I'm fine. <laughs> poor actors, poor actors for whom that is like what they live for. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah man it's been so good to talk to you I just love um watching your career continue to be on this train that's going forward well I've really enjoyed seeing all your posts about story structure I love it I'm I'm really pleased that you're doing this I think it's going to help a lot of folks and it's you are you are a good person to be doing it Oh, I like that. I'm glad to hear that. I think that um, I, I think it is the missing piece that that a lot of writers won't um, conform to. They they resist it so so often, and and it's unfortunate because it is the thing that that makes the difference between completing projects and not. Right? Yeah. It's just to have a structure in place to do it. All right, Rachel. It's so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much. After the, after the musical gets up and running, we'll have you back and you can tell us all about it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> fingers crossed. <laughs> all right.